Our dear, kind Heavenly Father, I want to thank You so much for each one that is here. And as we're here, Lord, we're asking for You to teach us Your Word, because Lord, that's what really matters. So Lord, I pray for Your blessing upon us today. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Amen. It was a fall September day. It was warm. It was sunny. And Mrs. Reynolds was washing the dishes. And as she was washing the dishes, she looked out her window and saw the leaves blowing gently in the trees. And she began to be taken off, off into a thought about her son. Her son was off to war. And her son daily would write to her. And daily she would respond to him. And so every day she'd get letters and he always focused on the good things. How things were and the beauty of things. Never talked about anything bad or negative about the war he was over fighting in. And one day she didn't get a letter. And that one day turned into a week. And that week turned into a month. And she's standing there at the window washing those dishes, kind of caught into the moment. And she's thinking, I wonder why I haven't gotten a letter. I've been praying that God would keep him safe. And as she was washing her dishes and thinking, she saw a car that was a military car that pulled up in front of her house. A man got out of the car and he briskly walked up to the door and he knocked on the door. She went over and tears began to swell up in her eyes. She opened the door and sure enough, the man was there. He handed her a letter. And he simply said, I'm sorry, ma'am. And just as quickly as he had come, he turned around and he left. As the car moved away with tears streaming down her cheeks, she went inside the house and went up to her bedroom and sat on her bed. And she opened the letter. And inside the letter read, Your son is missing in action and must be presumed dead. She laid on the bed crying and saying, Lord, I prayed. I prayed that you would keep him safe. He's all that I've got left. Why would you let him die? A few days later, a neighbor was down visiting with her and trying to comfort her. And as they're talking, she says, well, you know, really, why don't you come to my house next Tuesday night? And she said, why? What's up? Well, she says, a group of us get together and we talk to the ones that have died or departed from us. Oh, no, 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 no. She says, I don't believe that you can talk to those that are dead. Well, you can believe what you want, but every Tuesday night we meet with our dead loved ones. Well, she went around and the next Tuesday night came and guess where she was? Not there. She didn't go. She thought about it, but she didn't go. Next day, this neighbor came to her house and said, I just wanted to let you know your son showed up last night and he wondered why you didn't want to come see him. Now the next Tuesday night, guess where she was? And for the next six months, every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, she would meet at this neighbor's house and they would all be talking to their departed loved ones, so to be. And she would talk to him about things that, that she felt only she and, knew, she and him knew. She was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that it had to be him. 
She went to her preacher and she said, listen, you've been deceiving me all these years. I now have proof that you can communicate with the dead. And he tried to explain, he tried to draw her to the Bible, but she would have nothing to do with any of it. And she simply said, take my name off the books. One late spring day, she was washing dishes once again when she heard a knock on the door. And she walked over to the door and she opened her door and there was her son Dwight. Her first words, she, she didn't even know what to think. She said, but Dwight, why are you here? We're not supposed to meet till Tuesday. <laughs> and he says, what are you talking about, Mom? It's me. I'm here. I'm home. Well, she began to realize it was really him. It was him in the flesh. And, and she gave him a big hug and welcomed him in. And to come to find out, he'd never died. He'd gotten wounded in action, got sent to a hospital, and was not able to send any communication. So here's my question for you. Who had she been communicating with for the last six months? You see, that's why it's important for us to understand this topic. Because the devil is alive and well. And the devil is going to do everything he can to deceive you. That's why in the Garden of Eden, when Eve was there and he was trying to get her to eat the fruit, and he says to her, Thou shalt not surely die. And the deception of death has gone on down through the ages. And so I want to take, and I want to take a look at what the Bible has to say about the subject of death. But as I told you, I'm assuming that most of you, or all of you hopefully, understand this topic, have studied it before, have gone through it, you know what the Bible teaches. Yes? You know? <laughs> Not in the story. <laughs> the question was, did she get her name put back on the books? I don't know, but the, in the story that I read, that did not come back out. I would hope at the end of it all that she did, absolutely. But let's take a, 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 a little bit of time here, and I want to go through several passages of Scripture. I put them down on this worksheet for you, because my real intent is to actually take and focus on the difficult text the ones that, are, that are, seem to be harder to explain. So take your Bibles with me, and let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting with verse 19. Now, do you remember what the principle of Bible study is? Okay, you're right. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Now, where do we find that? In the Bible, very good. I love that. It's right in your worksheet. <laughs> Isaiah 28.10. That's right. I put it there so you'd remember it. The issue is this, and that is the Bible is in harmony from Genesis to Revelation, isn't it? I believe it is. Therefore, you can go in different areas of the Bible and get the same teaching about any topic. Amen? Amen. Ecclesiastes is right after the book of Psalms, Proverbs, then you have the book of Ecclesiastes. If you get to Psalm of Sol Song of Solomon, you've gone too far. Okay, notice what it says, chapter 3 and verse 19. And this is what I want you to begin to ask yourself. I want you to ask yourself the question of, does this topic 
does this verse teach me or support that when I die, I go to heaven or that when I die, I go to the grave and wait till Jesus comes? Okay, that's what I want you to ask yourself with each one of these passages of Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting with verse 19, it says, For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beast. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so what? So dieth the other. Yea, they all have one what? One breath. So that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go unto what? One place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Would you say this passage of Scripture supports that when I die, I go to the grave, or when I die, I go to heaven? The grave. Very good. Let's look at the next one. Go with me to Psalms 146. Psalms 146. And notice with me in verse 4. Like I said, I'm going to do this kind of rapid-fire sequence. Psalms 146 and verse 4. The Bible says, His breath goeth forth, He returneth to His earth. In that very day, what happens? His thoughts perish. Hmm. Now I want you to stop and think about it for a minute. If I lose my breath, and now I can't think, wouldn't that be what losing your thoughts would be? How exciting would it be to sit on the edge of a cloud playing a harp and not be able to think? Just, just a thought. Let's go to the next one. Psalms 115 and verse 17. Psalms 115 verse 17. I was riding with my father-in-law one day, and he said, I got a text for you on the state of the dead. And I said, John, man, I've got so many texts, I, don't, I can't use them all in a sermon now. And he says, but this is good. And it, went, it was this text right here. Psalms 115, verse 17. The Bible says, The dead praise not what? The Lord. Lord, Neither any that go down into silence. Now stop and think about it a minute. If you were to go to heaven when you die, what's the first thing you're going to do? Praise the Lord. But the Bible says when we die, we can't praise the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's look at the next one. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. You were just there. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Notice with me in verse 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and starting with verse 5. The Bible says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know how much? Nothing. Not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their Hatred and their envy is now what? Perish. Now what would you call love and envy and hatred? Emotions and feelings. Now I want you to stop and think about something for a minute. What would it be like to be playing a harp on the edge of a cloud with no thoughts? No emotions or feelings? That would be exciting, wouldn't it? Yeah. And you can't praise the Lord. Notice we continue on. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Jump down to verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no 
work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where thou goest. Now, I've got to tell you the truth. I would not want to exist in a state of mind. And there's some people that that happens to. They go into what they call an coma. They're alive. They're breathing. But they can't think. They can't talk. They can't work. How would life be like that? I've got to tell you, that's not what I picture heaven like. So it's something that's very important that we understand. Yes? My brother Bob was in Vietnam and he got blown up and he was in a coma 10 years. Yeah. When he came out of it, he couldn't remember most of it, everything he had remembered back before that. Yeah. You know, the thing of it is, is we've got to realize that the Bible is trying to teach us something. So would this passage of Scripture support the idea that when I die, I go to the grave, or when I die, I go to heaven? The grave. Obviously the grave. Let's look at another one. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Coming to the day of Pentecost, would it be safe to say that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So we can trust what they say. Amen? Notice with me Acts chapter 2 and verse 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely, or freely speak unto you, of the patriarch David, that he is both what? Dead, Dead and buried. buried, and his sepulcher, that word means tomb, is with us unto this day. Jump down to verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, thereof, thereof, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which he shed forth this, which ye now see and hear, for David is not what? Ascended, Ascended into the heavens. But he saith himself, the, the Lord saith unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. So let me ask you a question. What is, what is Peter saying about David? He's dead and he's still in the grave. That's right. So would this passage of Scripture teach us that when we die, we go to the grave, or we die, we go to heaven? We go to the grave. Very good. Let's look at another one. Let's go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And notice in verse 28, John chapter 5 and verse 28. The Bible says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this passage of Scripture support the idea that when I die, I go to the grave, or I die, I go to heaven? Grave. To the grave. Very good. That's right. So you begin to look at what Jesus is saying, and He has laid out the foundation that we are going to die and go to the grave if we tarry, if he tarries long enough. Let's go to, to another one. Go with me to John 14. Passage you know well, you all love, you gain courage from. But I want you to see what he says here. John 14, starting with verse 1. John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in Me. For in My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and 
receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Let me ask you a question. Does this passage of Scripture, out of the words of Jesus, support the idea that when I die, I go to the grave, or when I die, I go to heaven? To the grave. Very good. Let's go to John chapter 11. Now, right about now, if we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, then we ought to be under an understanding that the Bible teaches all the way across the board that when you die, you go where? To the grave. To the grave. That's right. You just listen to the question. What, what happened? I know that when Christ returns, first the dead and Christ will rise up immediately, and then we that have made Christ our personal Savior will go to join. And then the other people that are still alive that, that were sinners will be destroyed by the bright light. What about those that are in the grave that have not accepted Christ? Well, okay. It says every eye will see. Oh, yeah, but that's talking about every... That's alive. Those that are alive. Yeah, yeah. The question was, for those that are on the recording, was he knows that when Jesus comes, uh, he's going to raise the righteous dead and the righteous living are going to be caught up together with them and they're going to go to heaven. And he knows that the, the wicked that are alive are going to be slain by the brightness of His coming. But what about the wicked that were dead? And of course the Bible tells us in Revelation 20 and verse 5 that they will stay dead. They live not again until the thousand years were finished. And he said, well, what about it says every eye shall see Him? That's not talking about those that are in the grave. It's talking about those that are alive. Okay? So now we come, we come back to our subject. This is the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11. I'm going to come to verse 43. I probably will back up. Let's back up to verse 41. But the story of Lazarus is Lazarus had gotten sick and they sent for Jesus and, and Jesus tarried and waited till Lazarus had died. And he was dead for four days before Jesus went. And he tells his disciples that he's going to go wake him up. Now they thought he was just sick. But finally he has to tell them, listen, he's dead. But I'm going to go wake him up. And so they all go, and, and uh, the short of the story is they finally come to the grave. And Jesus prays to His Father. Now notice what happens. Verse 41, Then they took the st away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard me, and I knew that Thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that Thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come down. No, no. Oh, what? He said Why would he call him forth if he was in heaven? Amen? Amen. So once again, you began to see the story here that Jesus had. This is a literal story. This is real. And yet he doesn't send Lazarus to heaven and after four days call him back. He rather he goes to the grave, he rests in the grave, and you can imagine what a sight it must have been as they were all watching to the words of Jesus, Lazarus come forth, and out comes this mummy because he was all wrapped in, in clothes. So, you know, it, he, and Jesus says, unwrap him, let him go. Now, I want you to take a look because we have covered how many passages of Scripture? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eight so far. I'm going to take you to one more that have discovered to us that when Jesus comes, He's going to raise the righteous dead. Why? Because they're not yet in heaven. Amen? Amen. Take your Bibles with me and go with me to Matthew chapter 16. 
Matthew chapter 16. And notice with me in verse 27, Matthew chapter 16, and in verse 27. The Bible says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His what? Angels. Angels. And what's that next word? What's the next word? No, no, come on. What's the next word? Okay, and what? Let's say it together. And then. Okay, what does that mean? Okay. When He comes, okay, then shall he reward then shall he reward every man according to his works so when do you receive your reward do you receive it at death or do you receive it at the second coming second coming that's why jesus said there's two resurrections the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation and let me tell you brothers and sisters i want to be a part of that first resurrection if the lord chooses to let me die i'm hoping to see him come amen And I believe all of us here are close enough to His coming that that could be reality. And so I just look at that and I say, without a doubt, the Bible is clear that it teaches that when we die, we go to the grave. Now, I remember I was visiting with some people one time. And they said, yeah, we know the the body goes to the grave. There's no doubt about that. But it's our soul that goes to heaven. I said, well, okay, but that's, yeah, yeah, we just read, our preacher just read it. That when our bodies return to the grave and our, and, our, and our soul returns to God. And I said, well, that's not quite what it says. And he said, oh, yeah, that's what it says. He just read it. We just heard it. And I said, well, do you have a Bible? And they said, well, sure. And they get out a Bible. And I'm praying as I always do, Lord, where do I go? And I, I tell you what, it wasn't there. And so I said, well, can I borrow your Bible? <laughs> you think I could find that passage? No. And I'll tell you what, it was probably to their good that I didn't. Because I probably would have been hard. But I'll tell you what, it was for my good too. Let me tell you, just because you don't always remember everything that, that you think you should remember, it's not a bad thing. Because you go back and you study it out, you wrestle the Lord. Don't think Jesus and I didn't have a little talk on the way home. <laughs> we did. But I'll tell you what, I looked it up and I never forgot Ecclesiastes 12.7. Take your Bibles, let's go there. I'm going to get into the troubling text, the text that seemed to say something different. I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7. So I went home, I looked it up, and sure enough, I've never forgotten it since. So it's it's not always a bad thing that you don't always remember everything. Okay, and listen to this. You need to remember that you need to be praying when you go give a Bible study that you do it in the Spirit of Jesus. Because the whole issue is you want them to see His love. Amen? Now, you got to teach the truth, but they ought to even see in the mark of the beast in the United States in Bible prophecy that, that, that God loves us so much that He's trying to save us. Amen? It's not just about do's and don'ts. It's not just about the history of the world. It's about helping us realize that we've got someone that loves us so much that he was willing to come and die for us so he would not be separated from us. Now notice here, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Sure enough, the Bible says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. What does it mean when it says the dust shall return to the earth? Talking about a dust storm here? 
What are we talking about? Talking about our body was made out of dust. From dust to dust, from ashes to ashes. That's right. Notice verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall what? Return unto God who gave it. Well, there's no doubt you begin to look at that word spirit. And some people say, oh yeah, that's, that's soul. Well, if you look at that word in the Hebrew, that word in the Hebrew is a rude word, ruach. And as you look at that word, it simply means breath. So it's obvious, you've been by people that when they passed away, they took their last breath. I was by my grandma when she went, Knows it. Now, who has control of her breath? The God of heaven does. Now, very simply, all you got to do is take a look at this, and the Bible says that the spirit or the breath returns unto God who gave it. Now, let me ask you a question. This young man in the back, what's your name? Rob. Have I ever been to your house, Rob? Okay, can you say that loud enough so that they could hear it on the recording? No. Uh, a little louder. No. Okay, do you all get that? I've never been to Rob's house. Is it possible for me to return to Rob's house? No. Why? Because I've never been there. How many of you have been to heaven? Then is it possible for you to die and go to heaven? No, because we haven't been there yet. So once again, when you understand the formula that puts this all together, you realize that God is not trying to tell you that when you die, your spirit or your soul is going to go to heaven. Take your Bibles. Let's go back to where it started. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, first book of the Bible, second chapter. And notice with me in verse 7. One more time, sorry. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the what? dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man what became a living soul now you know if you've taken any kind of math that every equation has to have a sum right a total so if you were going to put this into an equation how would you put it okay okay so dust or I'm going to put in parentheses body plus breath equals what? Okay, a living soul. Now, the interesting thing about that word soul there, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it means breathing creature. You know what that means? It means breathing creature. Now, let me quickly take you to a passage of Scripture. Hold your finger right here for a minute. I want to come back. Go with me to Revelation chapter 16. And I want to say verse 2. Revelation chapter 16. We're coming to the plagues. And I want to come to chapter 16. Nine. 
Okay, I want to come to actually verse 3. Revelation 16 in verse 3. The Bible says, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living what? Soul what? Died in the sea. Now, what's it talking about? Breathing creatures. What breathing creatures are in the ocean? Okay, fish, animal life. Listen, listen, I love to scuba dive. And so when I go scuba diving, I take and I, I take a camera down and I do video photography of, of fish. I especially like to look for stingrays and sharks and eels and those kind of things. But the Bible says that during the, the plagues that the sea is going to turn to blood and all the souls that are in the sea are going to die. Listen, anything that has the equation of a body plus the breath is a breathing creature or a living soul. Amen? You know what that means? That means you don't have a soul. You are a soul. Amen? Amen? You see, many people today want to say, well, we have the body and we have the breath and we have the soul. But when you say that, you've got no ending equation, no sum. The reality is the Bible lays out the equation and that's the body plus the breath is a soul. And so you have this, this thing that, that you realize that when Jesus says that the Spirit shall return unto God, which gave it, you can know that He is explaining that when you die, He simply takes your breath away. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at another one. Go with me to uh, Job, chapter 27. Just before the book of Proverbs, or Psalms. Job, chapter 27. And notice with me in verse 3, Job 27 and verse 3. The Bible says, Job 27 verse 3, All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my what? Nostrils. Well, is that talking about some living ember or being or essence or something that's in your nose? Come on. What did we learn? We learned this whole idea that this, this word here for breath and the word for spirit actually are the same word. So you began to see that when he's talking about the spirit returns unto God, he's simply talking about the idea that when you die, it's God that has control whether you die or not. Amen? And He simply takes back your breath. And so there's really no misunderstanding there as long as we let the Scriptures be the one to interpret the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. Let's move on to another one. Let's go to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I want to come to Jesus when He was on the cross. And of course, when He was on the cross, there was how many people up there with Him? There was two, one on either side. They were thieves. And the interesting thing, if you read the account, is that the one reaches out and, and, and asks God to take him off the cross. In fact, verse 39 says, The one male factor which was hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, 
for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man hath what? Done nothing amiss. How did he know? I want you to understand, you're right. He obviously knew who Jesus was. Obviously, if he knew he didn't deserve this, if he knew he'd done just right, if he knew and he recognized all this, that he had probably come pretty close to Jesus. Oh, I'll bet he more than heard about him. I'll bet he hung around with him in a while. But you know what happens when you hear the truth? You've got to do one of two things. You've got to either follow it and walk in the light, or you've got to turn your back and run as far as you can run. And that's why Adventists that fall off the hill, whoo, they got to go deep because they got to get away from the conscience that keeps convicting them. I was trying not to say that. He, was, he, he really is trying to convict them that they need to turn back around, that there's grace at the foot of the cross. Amen? So you begin to realize that here it is, that this man obviously knew who Jesus was. Obviously, I would say he'd even been maybe a follower of Jesus. So now it is, they're hanging on the cross and they're all there together. And notice what he says. Verse 42. Then he, talking about the thief that just talked back to the other one. Then he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy what? Kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Wow, you begin to look at that and say, Okay, what a promising excitement that here today Jesus was going to meet him in paradise. Where's paradise? Heaven. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 2, and I think verse 7, that the tree is in the midst of heaven. So without a doubt, we're talking about heaven here, that Jesus was promising him. And people will look at that and say, see, today, today the thief was going to meet him in heaven. I remember one time I was doing a series of meetings. What's that? It's 2-7. Thank you. I was, I was doing a series of meetings and I was doing question and answers. I love question and answers. I was doing question and answers, and one came in about the whole idea of the thief on the cross, and that didn't he go to heaven to meet Jesus that day? And, and as I began to start to explain, this person pipes out from the audience and says, and don't give me that comma thing. <laughs> and I simply said to them, well, let's stop and take a look. Number one, the punctuations in the Bible were not inspired. Okay, just like the chapters and verses were not inspired. Okay, so they were they were separate. You'll find sometimes you'll see Daniel eleven and twelve actually really go together. There shouldn't have been a separation there, but it's okay. I'm glad that they've separated because how would you find where I'm at if you didn't know how to get there? Amen. If I just started reading and said, "I hope you can find me," that wouldn't that wouldn't work. So I'm glad that they've done that. But before I take you to this whole punctuation thing that came into the, in the 1400s, I want to take you to the Bible for a minute. Because once again, the Bible has to explain itself. Amen? So take your Bibles and go with me. And I want to go to John. And I want to go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19.
And notice with me in verse 31, John chapter 19, and I'd like verse 31. The Bible says, And the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation, what day is that? Friday. That the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for the sab- that Sabbath was a high Sabbath, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other that was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was what? Dead already, they break not his legs. Now, first off, we begin to see of the three who died first. Jesus did. Why did they want to break their legs? Okay, they were still alive. Well, breaking my legs wouldn't necessarily kill me. Well, what, what really happened is this. And that is on a Roman cross, you had just a little bit of pedestal where your feet would be nailed to that. With that, they tied you up and nailed your hands to the cross pillar. As you began, because of pain and because of being wearied, you began to sink and you began to to struggle to breathe, you could take and actually lift up with your legs a little bit to get a little more air. But by breaking your legs, you were not able to lift yourself up anymore. And so you die quicker. That's right. But they came to Jesus and they saw that he was dead already. So we know Jesus died before the thief, right? But then notice with me, come to to John chapter 20 in verse 17 a moment. John chapter 20 and verse 17. Notice the Bible says, and Jesus said unto her, this is resurrection morning. Okay, that's the setting. Jesus had died. He went to the tomb. He rested over the Sabbath. First thing Sunday morning, he was resurrected. Amen? Amen. Amen. I praise God for the resurrection. Amen? Amen. Amen. Notice it says, And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I have not yet, what? Ascended. Ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and your God. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What day are we on? Sunday. What day did he promise the thief? Friday. Did he lie? No. no. Then what? how do you answer that? If the Bible says on Sunday morning he had not yet ascended to the Father, I can promise you when he said today thou shalt meet with me in paradise, he didn't go to paradise on Friday. So how do you explain that? Well, I put a little... Go back with me to Luke 23. And I put a little illustration on your worksheet. Now as you look under Luke 23, verses 42 to 43, I put a little illustration there, and I want you to think about it as I read it. The Bible, and the Bible didn't say, I'm saying a woman without her man is nothing. It's not? <laughs> okay, but I want, you to, I want to show you something. On your paper, take and scribble that comma out of after man and put it before man. Put it right after her. Take it. Scri- 
right here under under Luke 23. Okay, let's just put it up here. A woman without her man is nothing. I'll put an exclamation point. Now, you could read it that way, but what would happen if I took this comma, simple change, took this comma, and took it off of after man and simply put it before her, before after her or before man? Now notice, it looks, I'm not going there, brother. But 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 look at what the difference is in the sentence. A woman without her, man is nothing. It's the point. Stop and think about it. One change in a punctuation totally changed the meaning, didn't it? So when you look at this here, remembering that punctuations were not inspired, and knowing that Jesus didn't go to paradise that day, amen, because if Jesus promised to meet him in heaven on Friday, and on Sunday he said, I haven't yet gone to heaven, I haven't yet ascended to my Father, he'd be lying to somebody. Yeah. But I don't believe he's lying. He's not lying. Amen? I simply think it's the interpretation that we put on it. And that's why if you begin to look at this, look at verse 23 with me again today. Uh, again, Notice Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. Luke 23 and verse 43. What if we took that comma after thee and put it after today? That would simply read this. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. What has the changing of the comma to from in front of a word to in back of the word changed? Totally changed the context. And by changing the comma and reading the context that Jesus is trying to give it in helps us to understand the subject in the same, same way he has told us all the rest of the way through scripture. Amen? Amen. So the thief didn't go to heaven that day. I want you to also think of something else. What did the thief ask for? He said, remember me. Remember me. Yeah, okay, he said, remember me, but remember what? That I can be with you in paradise. No. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now, let me ask you a question. When was Jesus coming into his kingdom? At the second coming after judgment. So he wasn't asking to go to heaven that day. He's simply saying, listen, when you come into your kingdom, I want to be there. And Jesus says, I'm telling you right now. That's a new Nelson translation. I'm telling you right now, you're going to be with me in paradise. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's go look at another passage that's difficult to explain sometimes. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is that one that everybody loves to go to in verse 8. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse eight. The Bible says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And people say, hey, there you go. What, what more do you need? When I die, I leave this body and I'm present with the Lord. 
Well, remember, in order to understand the Scriptures, we have to understand it in context. Right? Because notice, if that's what you say, back up to verse 6. Wherefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are what? Absent from the Lord. Which means the Lord isn't with you if you're alive. Right? Now that's what you have to say if you're going to say that when I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. So rather we need to take it in context and find out what is Paul talking about. You know, Peter even tells us that Paul sometimes is hard to be understood. But notice as we take it in context, I'm going to, I'm going to read down through, I'm just going to start at verse 1 and I'm going to read down through the chapter. And I'm going to do it very quickly, but I want you to follow along and I want you to ask yourself the question, what is Paul trying to tell us? Is he trying to give us an understanding of what happens when we die? Well, let's read it for ourselves. Notice chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle was dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now I want you to stop and think about something for a minute. What did Jesus say? Don't worry about those people that can kill the body, but not the soul. But rather, fear Him that can kill the body and soul in heaven. So, you know, I mean, hell. So you begin to look at it and realize that here, Paul uses the metaphor of the earthly or the natural man or the carnal nature. He uses lots of metaphors to help us to explain the difference between being spiritual and with Christ and being earthly or worldly. Notice we continue on. Verse 2, and for this... And for, for in this we groan, earning earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Now he that hath wrought us for this selfsame thing is God who also hath given unto us given unto us the earnest of the what? The Spirit. Why does He give us the Spirit? To give us life. Okay, to give us life. To guide our lives. But the Holy Spirit doesn't guide the dead, does He? Amen. Notice we continue on. Verse 6, Therefore we are also confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in our body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be what? Accepted by Him. What's He talking about? Okay, whether alive or dead. He's talking about the fact of whether or not we are ready to meet Jesus. He's talking about whether or not we are one with Him, whether we've surrendered all to Him. He's talking about whether or not we have followed in the worldly path or we've followed in the heavenly path. The natural man or the spiritual man. 
And he's saying, listen, I would rather be absent from this body. I'd rather be absent from what goes on in this world and to be present with Jesus. Let me tell you, the Bible says that he can give you a peace that passes all understanding, even in the midst of a world of chaos. Now, notice we continue on. Remember, we got to take it in context. Verse 9, wherefore we labor that whether at present or absent, we may be accepted by him or of him. Verse 10, for we must, what's that next word? All appear, what? Before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Well, let me ask you a question. Why do you have to worry about that if you're dead? Amen? Does it sound to you like he's talking about how you die or how you live? Let's continue on. Knowing therefore, verse 11, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on your behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is up to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, not that if one died for all, then all are what? Dead. Dead in what? I mean, is he talking about death? Or is he talking about dead to sin? Yeah. Well, if he's talking about death to sin, he's not talking about the natural death, is he? He's talking about the spiritual death, the death to the human nature. Notice verse 15. And that he died for all, that they which live... Oh, wait a minute. Is he talking about those that live or those that die? Come on, what does it say? And that, they, that he that died for all, who is that? Jesus. Jesus that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Does that sound like you're talking about how you die or how you live? Come on, it's how you live. Absolutely. Notice we're not done. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Once again, there's that metaphor, the natural man, the carnal man, the, the man of flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, now, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Does it sound like it's how you die or how you live? How you live. Notice we go on. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What's that mean? A reconciler is one that takes two parties and helps bring them together. And so as God has reconciled the world, He has taken a world that is lost and now brought them back into unity with the Father. Amen? That was His job. And that's what reconciliation means. Now as He gives you and I that ministry, notice what it says as it continues on. Verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. So once again, I have to ask you, is, is Paul trying to tell you about how you die or how you live? 
how you live. And he's saying we're ambassadors for Christ. He's saying that we are, we are there and transformed into a new nature to be like Christ. And we are to reconcile the lost world to Jesus Christ. We're that reconciler. Amen? Amen. Amen. Notice we continue on. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of what? Reconciliation. Now then we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. How can you be an ambassador for Christ if you're dead? Come on. You can't. So once again, this chapter, if you read it in its context, is not talking about to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord, meaning when I die, I go to heaven. He's not trying to talk about what happens when you die. He's trying to talk about the death of the natural man. He's talking about the death of the person that we are born with and taking on that new life in Christ. Notice what he says in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature old things are passed away and behold all things are become new amen? amen so this is not to be absent from body to be and is to be present with the lord is not talking about death amen it's actually talking about your spiritual life because god has called you to be an ambassador and he doesn't want you to be a dead ambassador amen, amen. he wants you to be alive but let me tell you if you're going to be a true ambassador you've got to know his will Amen? You've got to know exactly what it is that He wants and what His kingdom is about so that you can share it with others and reconcile them with Christ. They don't need to be reconciled with us. We need to help reconcile them with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So when you look at this passage of Scripture, you realize that if you read it in its context, it really has nothing to do with death. Amen? As we would know it. Well, let's take a look at another passage of Scripture. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 14. It's another one people like to say. But let me, let me ask you a question. So far in all the passages that we've seen, has there been a hint that when we die, we go to heaven? No. no. The Bible is very clear. When we die, we wait in the grave until the resurrection. Amen. Either one or the other. And I hope if I have to go by the grave, I hope it's in the first resurrection. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm, I, as I said earlier, I'm hoping to live to see Jesus come. And I think that's a reality for everyone in this room because I believe we're that near. Amen. That near. But notice here what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Well, there you go, Pastor. When Jesus comes, He's going to bring them all with Him. And I have to say, wait a minute. With everything else we've studied so far today, how many souls are in heaven? We know a few. We know, we know at least Elijah and Moses and Enoch. And we know that, that when, when Jesus was risen from the dead, that there were some that came out of the graves. We believe they went back to heaven. The Bible depicts four beasts. 
And it fixed four, 24 elders. So, you know, we don't, we're not given who all they are. But I can tell you this, God has taken some back as the first fruits of His resurrection. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. But I want you to ask yourself the question, if the Bible teaches that when we die, we rest in the grave until He comes again, how's He going to bring them with Him? Amen? So you just begin to know that you got to put take it in context. So back it up. Let's look at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are what? Asleep. Asleep. What does that mean? Those that are dead. That's right. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, if you look at the original language there, it actually would read, them God which sleep in Jesus will bring with him. See, now you could, you could take that one of two ways. You could take it that God is going to bring them back from heaven, or you could take it that when, God, when Jesus comes back to heaven, He's going to bring the saints with Him. Amen. Notice we continue to take it in context. The original is, them God which sleep in Jesus will bring with Him. So you begin to look at this idea as we continue to go on. Notice verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain, got to put it in here, what's another word for remain? Left. Left. <laughs> there we go. Unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. What's that word prevent mean? It means to precede or go before. Now stop and think what Paul is saying that those that are alive and remain are not going to go to heaven before those that have died. But see, then you have to turn that around also, don't you? The dead aren't going to go before the living, and the living aren't going to go before the dead. Why? Because notice verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. What? First, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Who's them? Those that have just been resurrected. That's right. Gather, uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. In where? The clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why would Paul try to say two verses before he says that the, the dead in Christ are going to rise first? and say that He's going to bring them back with Him already. See, I, I, you got to put it in context. Paul is not trying to say that, that Jesus is bringing the dead ones back with Him. He's rather saying that He is going to come. And when He comes, He's going to take all of His, His righteous saints, living and dead that He raises, back to heaven with Him. Amen? Praise God. That's why He says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I want you to ask yourself the question, though. Who wrote the book of 2 Corinthians? Paul. Paul. Who wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians? Paul. Paul. Why would Paul tell the church at Corinth to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and say, listen, when you die, you're going to go to heaven and now tell the church at Thessalonica that you've got to wait in the resurrection? That's a good point. See, Paul is not confused. 
Amen? Amen? It teaches the same thing. Paul is simply trying to say that when Jesus comes, he's going to gather his saints and with a, with a well, how does he put it? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord, or in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen, Paul is trying to help us to understand the great joy that we're going to have on that day. Oh, I love it, man. I tell you, I, can't, I love that song. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon His face the One who saved me by His grace then He takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. i got to tell you, all of us have dead loved ones that we just can't wait for this time. That when God raises them from the dead, I tell you, I was at my grandma's bedside. I was running from God. And my grandma said to me one day, she said, what's it going to take for you to go back to church? And I said, oh, grandma, you'll outlive me. Don't worry about it. And a week later to the day I was at the hospital when she passed away. I was singing at her funeral. And as I was singing at her funeral, I, I don't even know how I sang the song, because to be honest with you, all I can remember is thinking about grandma's ready to meet Jesus. And the next thing she's going to hear is that trumpet. The next thing she's going to hear is that voice that says, Grandma, come forth. But what about me? I wasn't ready to meet Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I began to really think about this whole idea of what happens when we die and what happens if we choose not to serve Jesus. Because remember this, if you die and you go to the grave without making things right with Jesus, your destiny is already determined. And it isn't going to be joyful in the end of it all. And I can tell you what, my grandma got me thinking, but i got to tell you, I, wasn't, I didn't change right then. Two weeks later, my dad had a stroke. And that's when I said, okay, Lord, I don't want to be 60 years old and know you've called me to do a work and not have done it. And right there at 2.30 in the morning, July 3rd, 1993, I gave my heart back to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I was kneeling out in the middle of a drag strip and we were looking up at a moon that was, was, was bigger and fuller than I'd ever seen before. And I tell you, I just confessed for running and for, confessed for all the sins that I'd been doing. I was working seven days a week most times. 20 hours a day. Went to the hospital three different times thinking I was having heart attacks. Doctor says, it's not your heart. He says, you need to slow down. It's stress. And I can tell you what, life isn't always easier in ministry, but I tell you what, when you do what God wants you to do, there's a peace that passes all understanding. Amen? Amen? So, you know, all I've got to do is put my trust in Him. And I can't worry about the idea of, of whether I die or whether I live to see Him come. All I can tell you is that I want to be there when He comes a second time. Amen? And you're a winner either way, that's right. So, you know, it, it comes down, when you let the Bible interpret itself, you can know you can always trust the Bible. Jesus was with His disciples for three and a half years. 
If anybody would have known the will of God, it should have been them, don't you think? And yet, what was, what was his number one concern for them? The Bible says, take heed that no man deceive you. Listen, this deception of death has been going on since the Garden of Eden. It's the devil's plan to get you to believe. Don't worry about it because you don't really die. I want to submit to you that the Bible says we are going to die unless Jesus comes. But you can know that you're going to be right. And you can know that you're one with Him. And you can know that you can have the confidence that Jesus is going to raise you from the dead and take you home with Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want that hope. How about you? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our dear, kind, Heavenly Father, I want to say thank You so much for each one that was here. I want to thank You so much for the promises You give us. The promise that says You're preparing mansions for us. And if You go to prepare a place for us, that You'll come again and receive us unto Yourself, that where You are, we will be also. So Lord, I pray for Your blessing upon us as we continue to enjoy camp meeting. May Your Spirit prevail upon us. May we understand Your truths. And Lord, may we have the boldness to share them. So bless us now. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.